0: We're going to read again this morning from 1 Peter chapter 5. We've got two Sundays left in 1 Peter. This will be the last one you hear from me in 1 Peter. Peter. Mark, Malcolm will be picking up the tail end of chapter 5 next, next Sunday morning when he comes. But this morning we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, reading from verse 1 down to verse 5. Let's listen to God's word together this morning but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. As I said, when we came to the Lord's table, we spent last... Sunday morning, preparing our hearts for coming to communion. And we thought about how we're safe in Christ, that we escape God's wrath and God's judgment uh, because we're found in Christ, that we've been washed by His blood because He died in our place and He took our punishment. He took what should have been ours. But I also want to say this morning that that is half the story because we're not just saved from hell. We're saved for heaven. We're not just saved from a lost eternity. We're saved to a glorious and hopeful eternity. Absolutely Christ died in our place. Absolutely he's rescued us from the curse of the law. Absolutely he bore God's wrath in our place as his bride. But the gospel doesn't finish there. That he rose again. And actually, there's a newness and a hope of life everlasting. And there's the crown of glory for those who are in Christ. So we are saved from hell, but friends, we're also saved for heaven verse 1 begins with Peter bringing this strong encouragement to the elders and he begins verse 1 by saying so or some translations have therefore and when we see a therefore remember you always have to ask what's it therefore so what he is saying just now in chapter 5 is following immediately and directly on from what he has just finished saying in chapter 4 if you can remember back to last week at the end of chapter 4 he's been speaking about judgment starting at God's house it begins with God's people. So it feels a bit strange then that he goes on straight to bring the strong encouragement towards the elders after speaking about judgment coming to and beginning with the house of God. And he says at the end, very last verse of chapter 4, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And then he goes on and he brings this strong encouragement, this exhortation to the elders. So what's the link? What is Peter saying here? Well, he's just been speaking about how suffering and persecution comes, and through it, God refines his church. Through it, we are uh, we're made more pure. It's that kind of fire that tests the, the strength of silver and gold. We thought about it from Proverbs last Sunday. This judgment starts with God's people, and then he goes on, and he says that, uh, and he speaks to the elders. Why is that? Why does he speak to the elders who, uh, amongst the recipients of this letter? He goes on and he he talks about the relationship and the dynamic between elders or those in leadership and those who are in the congregation. So, well, firstly, what is an elder? Well, from this word in Greek for elder, uh, we get our governance as the Church of Scotland. We get our denominations governance. We are governed by elders. That's how we work. We're Presbyterian. That's In the most simplest of definitions, that's what Presbyterianism is, that the the church governance is done by uh, elders. This word that we have here for elder that Peter uses is presbyterios, and you can see then where Presbyterianism comes from. It originates within this word. So Peter goes on and he speaks um, to the elders, and and, and this word that that he uses for elders is used for those that are found um, often in, in leadership within the church. We see Paul and and Barnabas appoint elders in local congregations. We see the New Testament writers um, speak to elders numerous times. We see even the qualification for what an elder should be within the New Testament as well. So why does Peter speak to the elders firstly after talking about judgment starting with God's house? Well, this is what I think his point is. When persecution and suffering will come your way as the church, because he says don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. That actually... Who amongst God's people will be persecuted and struggle first? Well, normally it's those who are in leadership. We see that from Ezekiel 9, and probably this is what Peter has in his mind. So judgment absolutely starts with God's house, Peter said, when persecution and suffering and trials come your way. But when it does come to God's house, elders be ready. Because normally what happens is when a group of people are targeted, it's often the leaders that are targeted first, they would bear the brunt of the persecution. But he goes on and he speaks about the relationship between elders and the congregation, those in leadership in church and the congregation. And, and he's spoken a number of times in his letter, Peter, uh, about the dynamics between different relationships that we should have. So if you can remember way back, he spoke about how as Christians we should um, be subject to uh, those in, in government, those in, in, in power. Um, uh, he, he's spoken about uh, masters and their servants. He's spoken about um, husband and wives and the, the relationship that we should have as, as husbands and wives. He's spoken about church family, about how we should interact with one another. He's then spoke about how, as Christians, when you're persecuted, um, how you should respond to those who persecute you. And now he's addressing um, the, the dynamic of relationship between those in leadership within a congregation and those who are um, the members of that fellowship. But as Peter does this, as he brings this strong encouragement, he identifies himself and refers to himself in three ways. The first is as a co-elder. The second is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And thirdly, as a sharer or partaker of the glory that is to come. Peter could have referred to himself as an apostle. We see him do that at the beginning of his letter. Peter an apostle of Christ but here he identifies himself as a co-elder why does he do this well I think it's because he's showing and he is writing from a place of authority as, a, as an apostle but he's showing that I, guys I get this I'm an elder as well I'm in leadership in the church I get what you're going through he shows them that they're for them and he's with them in this which is nicer to hear than someone speaking from you know kind of top down he's saying look guys I get this I get what it means to be an elder I'm a co-elder as well secondly refers to the sufferings of Christ and this has been a theme that we've seen throughout the whole letter of 1st Peter this theme of of the the sufferings of Christ and we have this constant theme though because it's what he goes on to speak about next we have this constant theme and this this beautifully balanced, I don't even want to call it attention, this this partnership of, of suffering and glory that we see throughout the whole of Peter's letter. Justin Welby at the Queen's funeral, if you can remember back to that, he said this beautiful phrase that death is the doorway to glory. Death is the doorway to glory. I think we could add to that, friends, and we could say that actually suffering is the pathway to glory suffering is the pathway to gl- there's going to be bumps there's going to be persecutions we're going to be met with hostility when we stand up for christ but if you can remember i said last sunday that if we bear the cross in this life we get to bear the crown in the next and he talks about the suffering and he talks then very closely with the, the, the glory. That I'm a sharer or partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Again, this eschatology, this focus and, and, and pointing uh, towards the end times. That's what eschatology is all about. The study of the end times. He continually points with hope forward to what is going to be. He speaks to the elders Then, after he identifies and refers to himself in three ways about what they should be doing, how they should be doing it, and why they should be doing it. So if you're an elder this morning, listen up. If you're also not an elder, please listen up as well because there's some good stuff for you too. The task of the elder, Peter says, is to shepherd the flock of God. Verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Whose flock? It's God's flock. And I think that is a really, really important point where we start. That as your pastor, as your minister, as the the Kirk Session of Sandy Hills, we, we do not own you. That actually you are God's sheep, you are God's flock. And God has gifted and and, and given the privilege to people to have responsibility for, to 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 watch over His flock, just as Jesus told Peter to feed His sheep. Another way to kind of understand that is to shepherd my sheep. That's what Jesus was effectively saying to Peter: shepherd my sheep. Lots of places we see in the Bible refers to what it means to be a shepherd over God's uh, people. And and it points to this responsibility to be spiritually nourishing and nurturing those who belong to Christ. And this is why the Bible is very clear on what type of person should be an elder. And if if I'm really honest, and I always try to be honest, I think the qualifications that we see within the the, the New Testament have probably been ignored in vast parts of the Church of Scotland. And it's been made more about status in the community rather than the character and the godliness of the individual. Because we have a responsibility to be spiritually nurturing God's people. But here's the wonderful thing and the thing that gives me sleep at night, is it's also your responsibility, people of God. It's your responsibility to be in your word. It's your responsibility to be praying. It's your responsibility to be in God's presence. And if this is it, if this is the only place you're fed in your Christian life, you will limp your way to eternity. If you only ate once a week, you wouldn't be much use. You need to be in your word. You need to be praying. You need to be in God's presence. It's your responsibility to grow in your faith. And here, what I, what I think is what we see in a Sunday morning is, is not for me to try and light fires in your life. It's actually, it's your responsibility to tend to that flame for God's passion in your own life. But as we gather on a Sunday, could you imagine if every day of the week that you spent time reading God's word, you spent time in his presence praying, you spent time worshiping him and that you began to grow and grow in your passion and burn brighter and brighter. Could you imagine what the blaze would be like on a Sunday morning as we gathered The East End of Glasgow would have no chance. They'd have to take note of what's happening. They'd have to see. But if this is the only place that you're being fed, friends, it's not enough. Get into your word. And Peter points to how they should act, how the elders should act by by listing three sins, which is quite an interesting way to do it. He lists three sins and by doing so, he's telling them how they should behave. What does he say? He says to them, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You know that thing that I say to my children, and you probably say it to your children too, if you've got them. (coughs) Don't lie. What are we saying by that? Tell the truth. That's what Peter's doing here. But When we say don't lie to someone, we're encouraging them to actually tell the truth. Stop doing that wrong. You know, do what's right. That's what we see here. Don't serve out of compulsion, but do it because God has called you and you're willing. Don't do it under compulsion. Do it with with a a cheerful heart. Do it with with gratitude. Do it with what a blessing it is to be able to serve the Lord. Secondly, don't do it out of greed, shameful greed. There's lots of ways that we can be greedy. And, and one of them within leadership often is, is being power hungry. That we just, we want that extra wee bit of power. But actually, the, the, the example here, is, and the real emphasis here when he's saying shameful greed, he's talking about, you know, don't do it for financial benefit. You know, so don't be greedy, be, be generous as elders. Thirdly, don't use your position to oppress people or abu- abuse your authority. And friends, this is probably one that we see happen time and time and time again in leadership. When leadership is bad, it's often because someone has stepped over the mark, they've stepped over boundaries, and they begin to oppress those who are in their leadership. But the kickback against bad authority or bad leadership isn't just no leadership. The answer to bad leadership is to strive for godly leadership. And that's what Peter shows us in verse 5, where he talks to those who are younger. There's a lot of debate about what does this mean? Is he talking to the youth? Is he talking to those who are immature in their faith? Is he just talking to those who aren't elders within the church? There's evidence for all of them. We don't have time to go into it this morning. But you know yourself that when you find someone who is generous, who leads with generosity, who leads with, with just a, a, a joy and a sense of, of gratitude, who, who leads not as, as someone who oppresses you, but someone who actually looks to enable you and encourage you. It, it's a joy then to be subject to somebody like that, isn't it? You, you want to be around them. You want to be led by them. So strive to be godly leaders in this place. And how does leadership go so badly in the church? Well, I think Peter shows us the answer to that as well. Verse four, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. How does leadership go so bad in the church? We forget that ultimately there is a chief shepherd and we take our eyes of Jesus. Jesus is our example. I want to lead like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. He is the one that we should mirror. When people see you and they see your life, they see how you carry yourself, how you conduct yourself, how you lead, they should see Christ in you. Friends, the wheels will start to come off this place and it will all fall apart if we take our eyes off Jesus, even for a moment. And you might be in earthly leadership as a caretaker of God's flock, but as verse four says, we have a chief shepherd. And notice the difference between the two. He's used shepherd twice. We have a capital S here. And earlier on when he's talking about the the elders, when he's talking about shepherding the flock in verse 2, it's a small s. Do you see where the power lies? It lies with Jesus. He's the example. We have this chief shepherd and we're meant to do God's will rather than our own. And this shepherd who suffered, this chief shepherd who died and this chief shepherd who rose again and then ascended, Look what Peter says here as well. Again, it's just pointing forward, this hope of what is to come. When he appears, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Twice Peter has pointed in this very small section about the glory that awaits God's people. When the chief shepherd appears, friends, what a day that is going to be. What a day it will be when our saviour returns. And this is what Paul alludes to in, in, in the verses we read from Corinthians this morning. When we gathered around the Lord's table. Absolutely we do it in remembrance of Jesus for his death and resurrection. But he says this phrase. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In communion we look back on what Christ has done. But because of what Christ has done, friends, we can look forward in faith that He, that our chief shepherd, the good shepherd, that He is going to return to take His sheep, His flock, who He loves, to be with Him. And in this, Peter encourages the elders, those leading who may be the, face the, the brunt of the persecution. And he's saying, you may not receive any honor in this life, that you, you might just get grief and hardship, uh, and you might go through sufferings and persecutions. That doesn't mean you change how you lead. But hold on, elders. Hold on, those in leadership there's a day coming when you'll be honoured for all you have done. That is the emphasis of what Peter is focusing on here. And he speaks about this crown of glory that will be given to those who are in leadership in the church. You might think that sounds very unfair, so please bear with me. Because we're going to look in a few moments at the other crowns that the scriptures speak about. That is for all God's people. But this Greek word for, for crown here it was would have been the the... the the kind of crown, it's more like a, a wreath um, that was made of, of um, olive and, and other bits and pieces that would be placed upon the heads of those who won uh, in athletic games back in Peter's day. So he was giving them a visual kind of understanding of what that looked like. We could kind of talk about, in our day, uh, about the, the medals that those who come first in the Olympics, that they, that they, get, that, that they, they get to wear. But that one day, you, they'll eventually fade because it's made of stuff in this life. Just like the crowns that those in their athletic games were, were, were um, given when they, when they won, it was made of olive and other bits and pieces that they would, eventually, they would eventually fade away. But you're being given an unfading crown of glory. It's unfading because it's not made of this world. It's from the one that is to come. And friends, this is where all our hope lies. That is what is in store for God's people. Just like the glorious inheritance that Peter began his letter with, that unfading, that um, undefiled, that imperishable inheritance that is kept for you. You have a glorious inheritance that will be given to you when Christ, the chief shepherd, returns. And this crown that he's speaking about here, it is, the context is for those in leadership. But there are other crowns that the scriptures speak about. 1 Corinthians 9 talks about this imperishable crown that will be given to God's people. 1 Thessalonians 2, the crown of rejoicing. Revelations 2, the crown of life. And listen to these words from, from Revelations chapter 4. So we have, we have these five crowns, the, the, the crown of glory that's given to the elders and those in leadership, the, the, the imperishable crown that's given to all God's people, the, the, the crown of rejoicing that's given to all God's people, the crown of righteousness that's given to all God's people, and the crown of life that's given to all God's people. And let me read these words in, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 to 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on a throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on a throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Why would we cast our crowns before him? Why wouldn't they? We, They belong to him. They're his. Those crowns belong to Christ. Life and righteousness and rejoicing. That which is imperishable. The crown of glory. They, be all, they all belong to Jesus. But how do we get in them then? friends, we get them because we are now, because of the the shed blood of Jesus, by faith in his atoning works, we've been adopted into his family. And because of that, we are now co-heirs with Jesus. What is his is now ours through his redeeming work. Did you hear that? What is his is now ours through his redeeming work. Isn't that good news this morning? That there is blessings upon blessings. There is benefits that are belong to Christ that are now mine because of Jesus and his atoning work. Jesus took the crown of glory from his head. Isn't that what Philippians says? That he set his glory aside. To don a crown of thorns. Took off the crown of glory He put on a crown of thorns and he took that crown of thorns off the head of his bride. And he places it upon himself. And to his bride he gives glory, he gives righteousness, he gives life, he gives that which is imperishable. He has made us a kingdom, a royal priesthood. That was the joy that was set before him that you might enjoy and share in all his honors and blessings and benefits. He was covered by our sin so we could be clothed in the wonderful riches of his glory. For that is what Jesus said, isn't it? In John's gospel, the glory that you have given me, Father, I now give them. And I know our time's gone on this morning, but there's just a few other wee things I want to say. Friends, all the honours and blessings and benefits of Christ are ours. That is our inheritance. Healing, purity, light, no more pain, no more sadness, no more crying. Just the warmth of the Father's embrace and the glory that belongs to God, which we will share in through Christ alone, our high priest. The golden streets, the river of life. The gates of pearl, the city that has no need for sun or moon, because the Lamb himself is its light, for there will be no night there. That is what is in store for you, bride of Christ. But as D.L. Moody once said, the great attraction of heaven will not be the pearly gates, its golden streets, nor its choirs of angels, but it will be Christ himself. Bride of Christ, beloved of God, hold on. Hold on with hope. I know this life is hard, but your Lord, the chief shepherd, has gone to prepare a place for you. And what a glorious place that will be But the most precious thing about that place is the very presence of Christ himself who beckons you to share all that is his and you might cry in this life. But he, our glorious king, the lion and the lamb, the chief shepherd himself, has said he will wipe away every tear from your face. Not an elder, not a minister, not a pastor, not a deacon, but he himself, the chief shepherd, he will tend to you. He will wipe away all your tears. We will gather before him. And we will enjoy him with no end forever and ever. Till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. But friends, don't wait till then. Let us get lost in his wonder, his love and his praise this day. For he is always worthy. For worthy is the lamb who was slain. And may he receive all glory, honor, and praise. Amen.